protecting the word in your heart. Protecting the word in your heart. Matthew, the 13th chapter, begins with great crowds following Jesus. It appears that he was on the seashore and the crowd gathered. And then he got into a boat in the Sea of Galilee and sat down in that boat and began to teach. And the Bible says the crowd stood on the beach. Local tradition calls this area the Cove of Parables. It's a natural horseshoe-shaped amphitheater whose environmental acoustics uh, could have carried the words of Jesus over 300 feet from the boat to a crowd of hundreds of people on the shore. And Jesus began in Matthew 13 to teach in parables. This parable that I'm going to talk to you about today is the first parable that Matthew records in his book. It's also the first parable that Mark records. And it's also the first parable that Luke records. Now John, he did not record parables in his gospel. He, he took a, a different approach to uh, the life of Jesus. But parables were Jesus' means of communicating through an through a analogy, a narrative analogy, in order to teach a moral or a spiritual lesson. His parables had different results upon different people. Sometimes his parables would actually hide the truth from the crowd. Sometimes his parables would convict the crowd around him. Sometimes his parables were to convey truth to his disciples as he was teaching them and training them. And in Matthew 13, verse 3, we read these words. And he told them many things in parables, saying, A sower went out to sow. And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. And other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, and some and hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. I want to just for a moment go back and talk about the uh, seeds that were that left the sower's hand and hit various spots. The first one in verse 3, it says, seeds that fell along the path. As the sower was sowing, the 
The seeds were scattered in all directions while the farmer walked up and down the field and the, the seeds would fall on the hard paths that surrounded the fields. The other seed that was mentioned, the next one was the seed that fell on rocky ground. And in Palestine, the terrain was uneven and rocky and much of it is covered by just a thin layer of soil. And there would be seeds as they were cast that would, make, would just fall onto the rocky ground. And the rocks were, not all the rocks were covered with even a thin layer of soil. And you know, seeds sometimes could grow in unusual places. And you've seen plants growing on top of rocks, it seems like. And, you know, there's obviously, you don't even see much soil, but there's just enough there to, 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 to get that little plant going. And you've witnessed that. Other seed, the Bible says here, fell among thorns. Competing for the nutrients in the soil, the weeds would choke out the good plants and the good plants would be unable to reach maturity and bear fruit. And then other seeds fell on good ground and produced grain. And the Bible says some a hundredfold, some 60, some 30. In the New Living Translation, it, says, it renders that verse, that eighth verse. Still other seeds fell on fertile soil and they produced a crop that was 30, 60, and even a hundred times as much had been planted. Now, when Jesus gave this parable to that group of people on the seashore of, the, uh, of, of Galilee that day, every person there could relate to that. Every person there could understand that. And when, I, when we read it here today, because you know, that perhaps there's people here that have never planted a seed in their life. I'm talking about an actual seed of a flower, a... Uh, a bean, corn, or whatever. It's possible. Not everyone here is a gardener. Not everyone here, not everyone here uh, comes from the, uh, uh, the, from the flower beds and likes flowers. And not, you know, we, we have a different culture. But on that seashore that day, every one of them had planted seeds. Every one of them knew exactly what Jesus was saying. And when he said something, that we just read, I have no doubt that it caught their, their utmost attention. He said that when the sower planted on the fertile soil, that the crop was 30, 60, or even 100 times as much has been planted. Now, I'm sure that brought a ripple across the crowd. Because 100, 60, and even 30 times was generally unheard of. Typical agricultural uh, yields range from 5 to 15 times. A tenfold, 10 times was considered a good crop. Genesis 26, 12 lets us know that a hundredfold is nothing less that an extraordinary blessing of God. Notice what it says. When Isaac planted his crops that year, 
he harvested a hundred times or a hundredfold more grain than he planted. And how did that happen? For the Lord blessed him. So a hundredfold is clearly, by biblical definition, a blessing, a direct blessing of the Lord. And so when Jesus said some, some 100-fold, some 60-fold, uh, some 30 times, it caught their attention. And they recognized this is something different. This is something unusual. In verse 18 of this chapter, Jesus begins to explain this parable to the disciples. He tells them exactly what he means. The seed is the word of God. The soil is the heart. And Jesus makes it abundantly clear that the condition of the heart determines the outcome of the word of God upon your life. What's in your heart actually matters. It's a serious matter. We're seeing more and more people among our apostolic ranks that are not preparing their heart to receive the word of the Lord. The word of the Lord is taken lightly. The word of the Lord is taken just in a haphazard way. And Jesus was very clear about the condition of the heart in these, in these situations that we are, are reading uh, or we're talking about here today. In the 19th verse, Jesus said, anyone, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, underline those words, and does not understand it, and does not understand it. The word of God is not difficult to understand. I don't say that, uh, saying that you're always going to understand every passage in the Word of God. There are passages in the Word of God that we still don't know exactly what they mean. I was in discussion this week with some people about certain, uh, a certain passage in the Word of God, and, and, and uh, uh, somebody asked me, says, what do, you, what, do you, what do you think it means? And I said, I have no idea what it means, and I don't think anybody else knows what it means either. Because the Bible doesn't say, and not everything in the Word of God does God intend for us to understand right here and now. And this wasn't even in the book of Daniel or the book of Revelation, Paul, that I was talking about. <laughs> but the basic principles of the Word of God are not hard to understand. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. The God, uh, I am the Lord thy God. I am one. There is, no, there is no God beside me. Love your brother. Love your enemy. Do good to, to people that mis, mistreat you. That, those are things of the Lord of God. Anybody can read those and understand them. Forgive one another. Love one another. Show patience. Let the fruit of the Spirit grow in your life. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, kindness, goodness. All of those are easy. You can understand that. People say, well, it's just too hard to understand. No, it's not too hard to understand. 
That's a trick of the enemy because that's exactly what the Bible says the enemy tries to do. When you hear the word of God and, and, uh, and, you know, and, and your carnal mind starts getting mingled with, uh, with the word of God, the uh, enemy comes in and tries to steal the word of God from what you've heard. That's what he said right here in this verse. The evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. Let's back up and read the whole verse. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom, excuse me, and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. The evil one snatches, snatches it away. Uh, Mark 14, 15 uh, renders this. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. Whether you realize it or not, and whether you acknowledge it or not, and whether you'll even give credence to it or not, it does not matter. But Satan is in battle with you. You say, well, well, you know, we, we, just, we, we just don't go, we just don't pay a lot of attention to that. You'd better start paying attention because he is out there to pull the word of God from your heart and to pull the word of God from your children and to pull the word of God from your grandchildren. He's up to it. It's his battle. It's his plan. And he is doing it. His goal is to make sure that the word of God does not grow in your heart. He wants, to, he wants to make sure that you don't understand. He wants to, he wants to uh, uh, bring brain fog on you. There's no excuse for anyone that wants to know the word of God not to understand it. Like I said, there will be passages that will be complicated. There will be passages that you won't grapple with, but that you won't be able to grapple with, but 90% of it, you can understand it. And if you're having trouble, all you've got to do is ask. If anyone lack wisdom, and what, what better wisdom is there than this? And the Bible says, if anyone lack wisdom, let him ask of God who gives to all men liberally. He'll give you understanding. He'll give you revelation. He'll illuminate the word of God in your life. He wants you to understand the word. But your enemy, Satan, does not want you to understand the word. He is the enemy of your soul. He is real. That It's not a game and it's not just for fun. His plan and attack is real and he is out to keep the word out of your heart. The seed that was on rocky ground is talked about in the 20th verse of Matthew 13. As for what was sown on rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. It's not difficult to understand. The word is sown. There's no root. There's no depth. The heart is not prepared to receive the word. The heart is not nurturing the word. Truth is not a priority. And the word seems like it takes root. But does it? 
The problem's not in the word. The problem's in the heart. The problem's in the heart of that person who doesn't have the desire to help the word grow, uh, let the word grow. There's a seed that falls among the thorns. Jesus explained that in verse 22. As for what was sown among the thorns, this is the one who hears the word. But the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. The seed that's on thorny ground is that heart that receives the word. But soon the heart is caught up with other things. The heart or life is fixated on the things of life. Fixated on riches. And doesn't even know there's such a thing as deceitfulness of riches. That heart is fixed on the cares of the world. And the defect in the soil is a result of the hearer who refuses to put God first. And to put God as a priority. And when God is your priority, you want to please him above all things. The New Living Translation renders that verse, the seed that fell among the thorns represents those who hear God's word. But all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the worries of this life and the lure of wealth, so no fruit is produced. So the question I have for you today is, how do you prepare your heart for the Word of God? Now, you have seen it. If you've been around church any length of time, I have seen it. There are dangers that abound when the Word of God is sown into hearts. And we've talked about those dangers. We talked about Jesus' words as he talked about those dangers. And as you sit here, perhaps you even thought about people that have come into the church and, wow, they walked in and they were here and they, got, they repented and they got baptized. They even received the Holy Ghost and came for a few times and then they're gone. It's not because the church hasn't reached out to them, not because the church did, tried, to, uh, tried to find them, tried to pull them, tried to disciple them. It's just, it didn't last. Other people came for a little longer and they seemed to grow and grow and then suddenly life got in the way and then they got caught up with this job or that, or that event or, or they got involved in this activity and pretty soon they drifted away and sometimes we look at these verses and say you know this is a these are great verses for people that are coming to the Lord and they are 
But I've come to point out to you today that I don't believe Jesus was just talking to people that are starting in their relationship with God. I believe the same dangers exist for those that have walked with God for one, for five, for ten, for twenty, for thirty years. Notice, notice the phrases that in the text indicate a greater length of time than just someone who's just starting out. It says, endureth for a while. It says, proves unfruitful, indicating there was fruitfulness and there was a time of growth and there was a time of development and then they moved to a position of being unfruitful. It talks about bearing fruit and bringing forth fruit a hundredfold, 60-fold, 30-fold. That takes place over time. That's an ongoing process. And the process is called a walk with God. And so the actions that are described in these verses don't just apply to seed that is being sown in the hearts of young Christians or new Christians. It, it, it is applying to lives of long-term Christians. And it's important and significant that you grasp today in this soil or in, in this parable, Jesus makes it clear that the receiver of the word is the one who decides what kind of soil they will be. It's not up to the pastor. It's not up to the pastoral team. It's not up to the, to the uh, student ministry pastor or to the, to the kids' uh, uh, ministry leaders. It's not up to the people that, that uh, sing in the worship team. It's not up to the to, uh, people that greet you in the foyer. It's, you are the one that gets to decide, how am I going to receive the word of the Lord? What kind of soil is going to be in my heart? You are the one that gets to decide, am I going to receive the word of God and become one that produces a hundredfold or sixtyfold or thirtyfold. <clears throat> so again, how do you prepare your heart for the word? How do you cultivate good soil? If there was a magic formula, We'd bottle it up and we'd sell it. And I was thinking if we had that magic formula, we could have probably sold a lot of bottles of it at family camp last week. Lots of people there. Big crowds. But I can just offer you some principles based on the word of the Lord. And I'll give you three principles today. The first one is know your enemy. I've already talked about him. I'm going to talk about it for just a few seconds more. Know your enemy. The goal and the work of your enemy is to steal the word of God out of your heart. What did uh, Simon Peter write in 1 Peter 5, 8? Be sober-minded. Be sober-minded. He wasn't, he wasn't referring to sober in the sense that we think of sobriety, you know, drunkenness or not drunkenness. 
He was talking about being, being, uh, uh, being sincere, being, being uh, balanced, being level-headed. Understand this. Don't be bouncing around thinking, well, you know, the, the, there's, there, there's no devil and there's no evil. And, and you know what? This is, just a, this is just fun and games. No, it's not just fun and games. Wake up, he says. Pay attention. Be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And I've been to the camp meetings and I've been to the, the youth congresses and I've been to them where, they're, where I've heard the preachers talk about how he's a lion that doesn't have any teeth. I beg to differ. He's a lion, he's a roaring lion that can do a lot of damage and bring a lot of hurt and bring a lot of pain to lives and hurt parents and hurt grandparents and hurt children. He is an evil lion. He is an evil creature and he's out to destroy you and he has a moment or a, a, a point in time, the time that we live in, that this history that we're making right now, he has this time period where he can do his work on this earth and he is dead set on getting it, getting it done. He's not a lion with no teeth. He's not powerless. Now, he's, not our, he's not all powerful. As a matter of fact, I'll tell you this. You're more powerful than he is. Well, about a third of you uh, understand that and believe that. The other, the other two-thirds join with me. You are more powerful than he is. The Bible says greater is he that is in you. Than he that is in the world. You need to understand. You need to understand something. If he could take you down, you'd already be gone. And the only reason you're not gone is because you have more power than him. He's not powerless. And he's not, and he, and he, he's not uh, empty of tricks. And, he, and he's not someone that you can take lightning. But what you need to do is put your head in the air and say, I'm going to know my enemy, but I'm going to defeat my enemy. I'm going to know my enemy, but the word of God will not be destroyed by the enemy in my heart. I could talk a lot of, a lot of things today and of, of what, what he uses to... Uh, to destroy and to, to take the word of God out. One of them is deception. He did that from the very beginning of the Garden of Eden when he showed up to Eve and he said, didn't God say? And he twisted the words of the Lord and convinced Eve that it was okay to do what she was told not to do. <clears throat> you know something else he does? that works in, in your heart and life and, and causes the word of God to become unfruitful, is he, he uses criticism. Oh, you know, it's so easy to get a critical spirit. It is so easy to look at that and say, oh, I can't, oh, I can't believe that. You know, my personality type lends itself to criticism. Not criticism, receiving it. You know, I can, my personality type lends it to receiving it. You know, criticize all day. You know, you may or may not get to me. Probably won't, but you might. You know, never know. Try it. You got to try hard sometimes. But I can be critical. I can look at things. Well, oh, oh, look at that. That, that, that's not right. This, oh, we, oh, we, we've got this. We, we got to do better than this. And, and that, 
and it's not just my, my personality type, and some of you have got personality types just like mine. Some of you got one of the other three, or depending on which model you're using. Some of them got eight, you know, I don't, I don't know all of that. But I just know that criticism can creep into our lives and into our minds and into our hearts. What was the apostle Paul said? Be careful about criticism unless you bite and devour one another. And so the word of God can be stolen and taken away out of your heart by a critical spirit. The devil has so many tricks. But Ephesians 6.10 says, Finally, be strong in the Lord. You've got to know what you're up against. Be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his mind. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. Let that sink in for just a moment. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. When you get upset with your brother, it's probably not a flesh and blood problem. It's probably a spiritual problem. Your attitude or their attitude is wrong, or probably both. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood. We're not fighting against each other, but we're fighting against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces in the evil, uh, uh, excuse me, against spiritual forces of evil in the heavenlies. Satan has a highly trained and a highly organized kingdom and he's coming against this church and he's coming against your family and he's coming against you and he's coming against your friends with that highly organized attack and you think you can go and just take a laissez-faire attitude like, whoa, it'll be okay. No, it won't be okay. You got to get serious and you got to know your enemy. <clears throat> and I didn't come to preach on prayer. But this is a good time to talk about it. The way you're going to defeat the enemy in your life is through prayer and through fasting and through the word of God. Amen. Understand your enemy. As a matter of fact, we've been a We've been talking about spiritual warfare in our devotionals, in our prayer evenings, and we are, uh, we're halfway through our prayer evenings. Uh, June's over with. We had great results of prayer evenings in June. We had a lot of people involved. Uh, I haven't had a chance to run the numbers and see uh, what the numbers compared to our, to our prayer groups, but we're going to have prayer evenings in, uh, in July as well, and if you look on the back of the newsletter, you'll see all of the prayer evenings that are listed, uh, that are scheduled for um, July. Get involved in one. We're talking about spiritual, spiritual uh, warfare. We're talking about uh, standing up and fighting in our devotionals, in our prayer, prayer evenings. Then we're going to go back to prayer groups in, in the last part of August, in September, October, and into November. Prayer's not going away at crossroads. You might as well get involved. 
you might as well become a part of it. It's a powerful thing. It's a great tool. God's answering prayer. Lives are being changed. People are being encouraged. Things are beginning to happen. People are coming to know Jesus Christ. People are being born again. People are being baptized in Jesus' name. All of that is a result of prayer. Number two, understand the power of the word. Right now, the seed, the word of God is being sown into your heart by the preaching of the word. While I'm talking to you, as I'm talking to you, spiritual things are happening. You thought you were just coming to uh, clap your hands and sing a few songs and hear uh, maybe hopefully a halfway decent message and then go home, get something to eat and go home and have a good day. I want to tell you something. You're in the middle of a spiritual work right now. And, 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 and somebody just doubted that. Somebody just, somebody, somebody just scoffed at that. The Lord just showed me that somebody, you know what, scoff if you want to. You're wrong. You're wrong. You're in the middle of a powerful work of God. You may not even recognize it. You may not even recognize it. And you don't recognize it if you, don't, if you can't acknowledge it. But nevertheless, the word, the power of the word is going forth and it is doing great work right now. And when you, when you take the word of God and you hear preaching of the word of God and you, and, you hear, and you take time to read the word of God and then you study the word of God and then you discuss the word of God, how, uh, if you, you turn it on, you know, I'm not one that I like to read the word, but some people, uh, I don't have this queued up, but I could, you know, I've got a couple on here that no, I don't think I got to play the word of God, but some people will play the word of God on their phone and they're, they're listening to the word of God. However you like to get the word of God, I want you to know there's power in the word. There's power in the word. The word of God is the most under evaluated source in the kingdom of God in my opinion. We talk a lot about prayer. We talk a lot about worship. When you're, when you're down and out, you want somebody to pray, when you pray, when you're, pray with you when you're sick. You ask somebody to pray with you. When you if I can get in here and worship, I just feel so encouraged. And, and you will. And all of that's powerful. And all that's wonderful. But you've got to understand the word of God can do something that worship cannot do. The word of God can do something that prayer cannot do. The word of God can do something that nothing else can do. Let me read it for you. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 12. For the word of God is alive and powerful. It is sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword. Now, I have never seen the sharpest two-edged sword. But I've seen some sharp knives. And I have known those knives could still be a little sharper. And the Bible says the word of God is sharper than the sharpest. And get this, cutting between the soul and the spirit. Between joint and marrow. And it exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. You can go into the hospital and they can cut you and they can, they can cut. And 
I'm no medical professional, so don't, but I'm pretty sure they could cut between the joint and the marrow. Not a problem. That's the surface level stuff. But there's not a surgeon in the world that can divide the soul and the spirit. There's not a microscope in the world that can examine that. You see, the Word of God does that. Worship doesn't do that. Prayer doesn't do that. The Bible doesn't say that prayer does that. The Bible doesn't say worship does that. The Bible says the Word of God does that. And the Word of God is the, is the most underrated uh, tool, the underrated uh, spiritual thing that you and I have. If I brought a man in here that was gifted in faith and, and he had the gift of healing and he stood before you and, uh, and uh, suddenly your you, uh, blind eye was opened or, uh, I, uh, or, or cancer disappeared or tumor fell out, you'd say, oh, that's powerful. Whoa, he's a great man. What a man of God. That's wonderful. And rightly so. But all that demonstration of healing and power can't do what the word of God can do. Only the Word of God can dig deep into your soul. Only the Word of God can get right down to your spirit. And it changes the person you are. And if you read His Word daily, it will, and, and you obey it, it will change who you are. A 2021 survey said that only 11% of the people in the United States read their Bibles daily. I'm actually surprised it's that high. 11%. You read your Bible daily, that automatically puts you in the top 10% in the nation. Right there. This Bible's falling apart. I can't hardly keep the, the, the cover on it. I submit the most apostolics today don't understand the power of the word. If I brought a bottle in here and gave it some potion and told you if you drink just a little bit of this daily, you'll be full of wisdom, you'll be full of knowledge, and you'll be, you'll be blessed from on high. If I could demonstrate that it worked, I could sell that and you'd take it home and you'd be drinking it and you'd be looking for those blessings. Well, it's not in a bottle. It's not in a formula. It's not in, in a magic potion. It's in the word. Amen. And if you'll do it, if you'll just take his word and ingest it into your life and just do it. And that leads me into the third thing that I want to share with you, the third item. And, and I can't even believe this message has gone as long as it has because, quite frankly, I thought that this was really going to be a short one today. But I'm, I'm wrapping up here. The third thing is place priority. And this is kind of what I've, what I've already leading into. Place priority on the Word. Place priority on the word. Understand the power of the word and place priority on the word. 
Matthew 13, 23 says that good soil is the one who hears the word and understands it. And I submit to you, don't sit down and read 16 chapters. And then walk away saying, well, I read my Bible today. Check mark. Look at me. I read the word. What would you read? I don't even know what book I read. I don't know. It was somewhere in the Bible. Now, I know this flies counter to what you hear at some youth camps and what you'll hear at, you know, maybe NAYC, you know, and, they, and, and you know what? I know that, and I know in, in, in our organization there was a big push, and it's, it, there's still a push, but it's not as big as it was, to read the Bible through in a year. And then people get started and they fall behind because they don't get all six or seven chapters or whatever it is they have to read it. They fall behind and they get under condemnation and they feel bad about it. And then they sit out and, well, I'm going to catch up. And they're blowing through chapter after chapter. And they read and they don't have, a, they don't have any comprehension of what they just read. That's why, I, that's why I don't push reading the Bible through the year. Understand, I want you to understand, if you read two verses and you walk away, understanding those verses, then that's better than reading six chapters and not being able to tell me what book you read from. I'm telling you, that's, that, I, I believe that with all of my heart. Don't, don't get discouraged and overwhelmed about it. You know, this happens with everything. You know, I, 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 I carry this thing around. Where is that thing at? We all carry these little computers around. And I got these ear pods, you know, and you put those things in and you get this synced up. And, and I, I, I like to listen to podcasts. I listen to stuff. And, um, and then, you know what happens to me? I'm going, I'm, all of a sudden I said, whoa, 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 what did he say? I got I to gotta find that and back it up. Because I, I, he said something I didn't, or she said something, but what I'm listening to, didn't, I didn't, it didn't register. I'm back, and I'm constantly back. And, and sometimes it's fresh. I'm like, okay, I'm just about ready to quit because I'm, I'm not able to concentrate. And, and I'm not talking about even Bible things sometimes. Sometimes I'm listening to, you know, Ted Cruz and politics, you know. Ted Cruz has got a great pod, podcast personal opinion. You can take that and throw, you, delete that, would you? <laughs> There's lots of, you know, lots of programs on how to, there's all kinds of podcasts. There's hundreds of thousands of them. And we, we, we get so overwhelmed with information. We don't, we're not even paying attention. When we go to the word, push Push life aside. Push everything aside. Just say, look, I've got five minutes. Okay, if that's what you've got, take five minutes. Take five minutes and look at those scriptures. Or if you're listening to it, listen to them and listen intently. And let the word of God sink into your heart. That's, that's putting it as a priority. That's what makes you good soil so that you can develop. Stand with me if you would. Let me, let me bring this scripture to you. Psalm 119. 
With my whole heart, I seek thee. Let me not wander from your commandments. Almost every verse, not all of them, but almost every verse of Psalm 119, and it's the longest, it's the longest chapter in the Bible. And I don't remember how many verses it has. How, who knows? No, it's, it's, I think it's more than that. 169, is that what it is? Okay. 176. She just looked, did you just look it up? Yes. 176. All right. Hey, you're close. 176 verses. Not all of those verses, but almost all of them reference the Word of God. Either, either it calls it the Word or it calls it, uh, it, it, it calls it a, uh, the law of God, the rule, the statutes. You'll notice, with, all, with my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. And then verse 11. I have stored, I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Verse 12, blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. Lord, I've just got a few minutes. I've just got five minutes. I'm going to sit here, Lord, and... I'm going to just take these six verses and I'm going to read them and I'm going to store them in my heart. I'm going to store them in my heart. And if you come to the end of your day and you need to read those same six verses again, read them again. And if you've got to read the next day the same six verses, read them again because you've got to store the Word in your heart. The Word of God changes you. So the parable of the sower is for all of us. It's for you. And it's a challenge for you. For you to be the kind of soil that God needs you to be so that you can bring forth ten times, a hundred times, I'm, so, I'm sorry, a hundred times or sixty or thirty times so that God can use you so people all around you know you're anointed and blessed. You're not doing it because you want people to know you're anointed and blessed. You're doing it because you need to be anointed and blessed because those people need God. Those people need to find a way to be saved. Those people need to hear that Jesus loves them and there's hope in their desperate lives. Amen. Let's, let's all come around the front today and let's just Let's just come in here and we're just going to spend a few moments just asking the Lord to help us and challenge us and asking the Lord just to take this word, take this word that he has given us today and apply it. Hallelujah. Lord, I want to be good. So ask him to help you to be the fertile soil. Ask him to help you to hide the word in your heart. Hallelujah, Lord, let me, let me be the fertile.